Welcome back, my friends. We're back again with another episode of your favorite podcast, The Shift Gear. Maybe your favorite podcast, maybe not your favorite podcast. Actually, probably not. I don't even think this would be my favorite podcast. But, yeah, I uh, saw a lot of a lot of people hit us up with their Spotify rap. <laughs> they were in our top listeners. So shout out there to was everybody a lot of number ones. Spotify wrapped. Yeah, no, that's what I'm saying. So no, it was great to see. No, actually respects. As much as I'm like sarcastic on air about how much people should hate us I, I i do appreciate when people don't hate us and i don't think people hate us actually i know people no, don't I, hate us but i think every, everyone i talk to like i like even people i'll play at tournaments like i've never met before they'll be like oh like i really like your podcast so no it seems the reception's been positive which uh which is great to see yes sir uh, i i was being pressed today about uh is there a podcast episode tomorrow like what the hell is going on I'm like oh okay there's a uh, <laughs> nice <laughs> a lot going on. Um, so this week uh, we have a couple interesting decks that we can cover that came out last week. Um, uh, something really cool came up in my uh, in one of my lead challenges I went to last week, where people were talking about who's the goat. So we're gonna have a nice debate about that, like just like Stephen A. Smith style, like just going at each other. Uh, but I think we actually agree, so maybe not. <laughs> yeah. Well, maybe we can have one person play devil's advocate then. Sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, actually, we should probably discuss this before going on air, but who do you think the GOAT is? Well, shouldn't I save that for when we get to that section? Well, I just need to know whose side I have to be on. <laughs> oh, I think I think Jason's the GOAT, so you All can right, pick. I'll be, I'll, I'll be towards sexual, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Uh, <laughs> um, but, yeah, actually, do you want to just start with that? We can start with that. I think there's. I think uh, it's no, why don't, why don't, no, let's, let's, all right, you want to start with that? Bro, yeah, let's just talk go about... for each other's head right off the bat. All right. I mean, like, I just think there's, for me, like, I just think to be the GOAT, like, I think you need to have a Worlds title. And, like, toward, like, yeah, you're second in top four. Like, and it, it's kind of, like, semantics, because, like, obviously you have to get lucky to win Worlds. But, like, if you want to be the GOAT, I think you need to have that title. Like, I think it would be crazy in, like, any sport to be, like, this person's the GOAT without a championship. Um, and I know he has four internationals, which is crazy. But, I mean, like, Jason has, like, three Worlds, plus he has a U.S. Nats which is basically also the equivalent of winning four nationals. So plus Jason's won like in his era, like every type of tournament he won. I mean, the tropical mega battle thing. He won like the goodbye tournament. He's won regionals. He's won like States. Um, so to me, he just has like the complete resume and like, yeah, it's, it's tough. Cause he, he played in a very different era than Tori. He's never played in the modern era. Like his tournaments were much, were much smaller, but I do think he played in an era where, where deck building was rewarded more um, and all that. So, I mean, like, I'm not like 100% like dead set. Like if you tell me towards the goat, I'm not gonna be like, no, this makes no sense. There's no argument. But for me personally, just the way I I view the goat and how I value it, Jason's my goat. Yeah, and like, and most of what you're saying, or almost all of what you're saying, I actually agree with. But for the for the purpose of playing devil's advocate here, I'm gonna be towards sexual. And that being said, I I honestly, and and some of this is not me just like saying it to say it. A lot of this I actually agree with as well. Um, the, those three international titles is huge. There's a lot of things that I think Tor did that Jason did not, which is obvious given that the the game's entirely changed and like not only the metrics of what you're seeing statistics wise, like how many people are in seats and how many how big these tournaments are, but more so just like doing things with with all these like different decks, different builds. I know Jason did as well, but going into internats and, and winning three huge internats, I think is massive. He's won four actually, bro. <laughs> is it four? <laughs> yeah holy bro this guy's ridiculous i mean um, i think his his feat of winning all four like different ones like i don't think anyone's gonna do that again or if they no, do it'll be like a long that. time from now 
Yeah, and, and like, there's a lot of, obviously, like, brought to the forefront the last couple of weeks were his antics and his slow playing and whatever, whatever, right? But I think to be exceptional at this level with how big tournaments are and, and how, I don't want to say luck-based this game is, but how you have to run quite hot to do well at anything, I think there has to be something that kind of sets you apart, something that you do differently from other people that may give you that slight edge, that advantage, and I think his pace of play is that thing. So I don't hate on it as much as other people. I don't like it, obviously. Um, I, I don't like the idea of, of manipulating the clock or whatever, whatever, but I understand it. And I get that, like, that's kind of been his thing. It's kind of what he does. And, and I like the fact that after his DQ at LAIC for his alleged slow play, which must have been slow play if he got DQ'd, um, I like that he just went and played something absolutely insane to be yeah. like, hey, guys, I don't need to slow play to be good. And then he top-aided. So yeah. I think I think with uh, with his second place last year at Worlds and, and how close he was to winning it, I think at that time at least I was thinking maybe this guy is the GOAT. It, it did cross my mind. I thought about it. Um, but I, I think I agree with you. I think you have to win a Worlds to be a GOAT. And, and I understand, like, the – I understand how difficult it is to win Worlds and, like, how Worlds is just this one tournament with maybe even less players than most other tournaments. And sometimes it's obviously not easier, but in the in the sense of like what your record needs to be and, and what you have to do to win Worlds, sometimes it is less daunting than like a 2,000-person regionals. But I think that one tournament when you're playing with the best of the best, I think that is where you show who you are. And Tord has done that. He just didn't get across the finish line fully. Yeah, I think a couple of things like I'll say. So like on the slow play part, like it's one of the things just like don't hate the player, hate the game. But, like, sometimes he does take it, like, a bit too far. And, like, we saw he, like... Honestly, his disqualification probably wasn't justified in that specific instance. It was probably, like, a lifetime achievement thing. They're like, all right, like, gonna get you for that. <laughs> um, mm. And then, like, I think one thing for Tord that I do like is, like, he kind of masters decks really well. So, like, he was, like, a master of Gardevoir. He was master of Lugia. He was a master of, like, uh, Lost Box when it came out. Like, he mastered, like, the Urshifu deck, which I think is nice. And, like... My thing with Worlds too is like last year in the final of Worlds, like I actually think that series was very winnable for him, and he like ironically lost because of time. So uh, I guess if I had to like hold something against him, like I guess he he didn't finish the job like in his uh, his big chance there. But like I mean honestly, like if you ask me, like is Tord gonna win a Worlds in his career? Like I feel like everyone's gonna say yes. Like I I just feel like eventually like he'll he'll get it done. So I don't know. Once he does that, like I think it's indisputable he's the goat. Um, but until then, I think it's it's a valid debate between him and Jason K. And, like, it's also the same with, like, the LeBron and Jordan debate where they played in such different eras. Or yeah. Even, like, now you talk about, like, Gretzky, Crosby, McDavid, like, all these different players in different sports. And, and actually, the, the most fascinating one to me is the, uh, the Tom Brady, is Tom Brady the goat of all sports debate? Because there's, like, so much that goes into all these things that it's obviously not possible to measure this just on a single metric no. or even on a series of metrics. Like, there's just so much that goes into it. And, like, you talk about, like, Jason's achievements, right? When he was at Worlds, like, I think there was a Worlds where there was, like, less than 100 players or, like, a few of them, actually. Yep. Where he won Worlds where there's less than 100 players. And, like, obviously, to win Worlds as many times as he did, you have to be a very, very high-quality player. But there is something to be said where... Obviously, the margin of error is a little bit greater for him when there's only 100 players. Like, you can't really afford to lose a round. Uh, um, I don't know. I, I would know. push that, back a bit. I actually think, like, as someone who's, like, I haven't played in as old of worlds as when Jason's first started winning, but if someone's played both, I actually think Jason's worlds were way harder than the current structure. 
because Torrid's always had like a day two invite into Worlds. And the way like when Jason used to play, like you had to like they had like top thirty two cut or top sixteen cut. So you had to win like way more rounds even after making it to top top cut. Oh yeah, yeah. Uh. sorry, that's what I meant. I meant like he's like he can't afford to win a round or to lose a round. Like when, oh, okay. when the terms are that small. Yeah, sorry, I phrased yeah, that yeah. incorrectly. Yeah, so um, no, it's very different. And I, I think the other thing too is uh Torrid actually played in most of the worlds that Jason played in. So I guess you can say that uh I, I think Torrid has top cut worlds a couple times, like in the the pre modern era. Um, really? but Jason was taking yeah I think I've, I looked on like PGCG Legends or like one of those archive sites before I think I saw Tord's name um, and yeah I think the other thing too is like like if Jason played in the modern era like I'm pretty sure he'd have like more wins and achievements but like he didn't so I can't I can't count that so that's why the debate I think is so close so yeah it's a fun debate if anyone uh, has their opinion tweet it at us comment let us know uh, and also yeah. if you have any other debate topics you want from us or like list let us know We'll we'll do it on the pod Oh, I'm so down to just like just debate every single week. <laughs> it's so much fun. The problem <laughs> okay, is we, we we agree on too much. That's the problem. That's what I was saying. We got. I was gonna say we got to pick something we disagree on, or like maybe we yeah. can do like a top five or top ten list of like I don't know, like player rankings or like uh, like top five like worst design cards, or like most OP cards. I don't know. We'll find something, and we'll have it like as a recurring segment. Uh, yeah, I think I think the more we keep people out of it, the better because people are gonna catch feelings so fast, bro. <laughs> so yeah, no, exactly. Be like, I'm not top five. I'm gonna I'm gonna boycott this thing, man. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I agree. <laughs> Interesting. Well, we'll we'll uh we'll always keep an eye out for things that we can kind of not argue about, but just debate on, like. You know, just first take style, just go at each other and move on, get over it. But so this week we have uh, Stuttgart Regionals coming out on the weekend. Uh, we saw a couple interesting decks do well. I think it was last weekend with uh, the uh, Giratina with Roaring Moon, Lost Zone deck. And then there was uh, the Emergence of Palkia, which we kind of talked about a little bit, but we can touch on a little bit more. Um, how do you feel, if at all, that these are going to like, the, the emergence of those decks is going to shake shake up the meta. Do you think it's going to have any effect? Maybe a little bit. I think it'll have almost like zero effect. Um, like these are like <laughs> not like big meta shared decks. Like they'll be like, I don't know, like 3% if even. Um, but I mean, I guess it adds another wrinkle to the meta where there's even more viable decks. So we're probably at like, I don't know, like 15 decks you could take to a tournament and reasonably expect to make day two with. Um, but I just don't think like, they're big enough decks or like they made a big enough splash where this is just on like everybody's radar. Yeah. And the the thing is with, uh, with Palky as well is it's just kind of like, you feel like it may have just like high rolled a couple times. And, and I've seen people at cups with it do well and stuff. And, and it's nice that it's brought up to light now, but I don't feel like it brings anything necessarily like specific to the mm-hmm. table. Like with that archetype, it's kind of another one of those, like, all right, attach to hit 200 kind of decks. Like, we have Maridon, we have Mew, like we have decks like that that kind of exist already. Um, obviously, you have another layer to it. You have like Crosswitcher Cologne with Greninja. You yeah. have Ice Rider, which is cool. Um, obviously, there there is a little bit more to it than just like a cookie cutter. I'm hitting you for 200 every turn, but that style of deck kind of already exists. I'm not sure Palky really adds that much to the uh, to the equation other than having 280 health, which is obviously really nice going into things like Mew, like. Maybe if you're playing in a Mew heavy meta, Palky is a bit better of a call than Maridon, sure. Um, but other than that, I'm not sure it really adds too much. The Tina deck with Roaring Moon I found particularly interesting myself. Um, I, I, I like the concept. I'm just not sure how practical it really is. Like, 
Is it worth giving up the option to Moonlight Shuriken? I'm I'm not 100% sure yet, but the deck as a whole was actually really interesting. Yeah, I mean, like, I don't think Moonlight Shuriken's, like, you need to do this in Giratina. I mean, the deck's already inherently slower than a Lost Zone deck, so, like, you're not ever turn two. You can turn two Greninja, but you have to start, like, triple Comfy going first, and, like, you normally want to go second in Abyss Seek with that deck, so, I mean, I don't hate cutting the waters. I think it's fine. Um... I just, I don't know, I just, does the deck even, like, need Roaring Moon? Like, is the idea just, like, you have basically, like, a basic Giratina <laughs> to finish the game? So, like, is that where, they're, yeah, where like, they he- their head's at? Yeah, so, like, with, with Tina and, like, my experience playing Tina, which is unfortunately quite a bit, um, the way I would lose games a lot of the time at the end is, like, obviously you're set up past, like, hopefully you're set up by turn three, whatever. Um, but the way you lose the game sometimes is you, you fall a turn behind. Like, maybe... You know your V star is going to get knocked out, and you don't have the the availability of a V to put down, so you can evolve it the next turn, or maybe you whiff a V star one turn. That that was a really big concern with Tina when it first came out, um, mm-hmm. and that's why like especially when Lost Origin came out, you'd see Tina list with like a couple Ultra Balls or whatever. Like you weren't really able to find the V star, so this kind of alleviates that problem in that sense, uh, where you can just kind of bench it out of nowhere and just swing. The other thing it does as well, which is really nice, is it makes your Mew matchup a little bit better, which is kind of like. I don't want to say a sketchy point for the deck, but it, it with Mew being as big as it is right now, which is really random, but it's kind of all over the place. You honestly just want to strengthen that matchup, and you can play Tomb, sure, but that card is like way more dead than Roaring Moon is. Um, I think Roaring Moon is really good into Mew. It's really good into a lot of things where you struggle at the end. Maybe you're getting Roxanne, you're getting Iono to whatever late game, and you're struggling to find like that evolution combo. That's where I think Roaring Moon probably shines. Um, is it worth giving up your early game option of Greninja? I'm not entirely sure. Uh, but I, I think there's definitely some merit to it. And I think you are you make your Guardian matchup a little bit worse, obviously, because you can't Greninja. But, I mean, you weren't really Greninjaing anyways because a good Guardian Guardi player puts down a Manaphy. So, yeah. it's uh, I don't know. I, I think it's a cool way to play the deck. Like, I have tried it a little bit. I think I'm going to continue to try it. But it's not anything, like, particularly groundbreaking, I don't think. Yeah, it's just like, yeah, another take on a on a pretty classic deck. Yeah, yeah, we'll we'll so, see where we'll see what it does if it does anything. I'm just like I was going through it in my head and like trying to figure out what matchup it helps, what matchup it, it it hinders. And like to be honest, like there was nothing super concrete. I think the one thing it does help with is Zard. Um, mm-hmm. yeah, towards the end of games, yeah. like you struggle when you're lost impacting into a Zard, it feels kind of bad. So when you're playing against Zard and you don't have a boss to kill a Pidgeot EX at the end to finish a game or something, you you have that like random nuke option. So. I think the nuke option is really good in that sense as well. Um, maybe into mirror, you could, I can see some usefulness into mirror where your opponent is sit- sitting behind a huge Tina and just KOing your Vs every turn. So you can kind of yeah. Swing you just have to be one. careful because then Sableye takes three prizes. Yeah, exactly. So I mean, it's it's probably just an end game sweeper. I would think. I, I would think. Yeah, I think it's an end game card. Most. Yeah, yeah. You probably just like attack with Tina and like set it up as a backup, like it's almost like a checkmate. So, I mean, I haven't played with it enough to to fully comment on it but i don't think it's like yeah like anything crazy you're gonna shake up the meta uh, you might see like a couple like if like for every five tina decks people play maybe one person plays that version of it mm-hmm. yeah and i saw a lot of a lot more uh like toward box running around this weekend than i did yeah uh, i did too at the cup <laughs> yeah there's a lot of toward box running around it's a cool deck like i understand when people are, are playing it i just like still to this day i don't fully understand it yeah, it's, like, interesting. I mean, like, Iron Hands is just inherently strong. There's a lot of decks that it just, like, puts so much pressure against Guardi, against other Lost Box decks. Like, heck, even against, like, Chen Pao if you're knocking out Frigibax or something. So, 
having the option to just turn two, like take two prizes is pretty good. And I guess like I, I understand the map because it's like you force them to use a two prize to respond to Iron Hands. Then you like use your Roaring Moon. Like you kind of force like a trade down of two prizes. So yeah, it's interesting. I don't know if Palkia is still needed in the deck, um, but it has definitely yeah. picked up some steam. So I think that was the part surprised. that confused me the most. Uh, <laughs> Yeah. Yeah, I wouldn't I be surprised know, to like, see that one see some more play. Yeah, I agree. I just like I looked at the deck and like I understand I think the functionality behind all the cards, but like as a whole I don't particularly understand how the deck like functions and operates. Um like just in the sense of like how are you not drawing bricks? But I guess he's just better. So I don't know. I didn't yeah, see any exactly. do particularly well at our cups, but uh, maybe people in other places are doing well with it. Uh, what did you see at the Cups this weekend that maybe surprised you or stuck out a little bit? Uh, nothing too surprising, to be honest. I feel like the meta game is kind of like solidified now. Lots of, uh, at least our area, there's lots of Mew still, which is kind of funny. Uh, yeah. I guess a lot of people in our area like Mew. Um, Rhino did well. I mean, the Palkia deck did well in our in our locals. I don't think it's, it's that great still, but um... Yeah, honestly, and there's not that much Gardevoir. Gardevoir's meta share definitely feels like it's tanking a little bit. Um, I feel like I was probably one of the only people playing it. There's like another in top eight in my cup I went to. But yeah, it seems like Gardevoir's play rate's going way down. And it seems like a lot of people who like favored decks from a glass format, like yeah, like Mew and Maridon, they're just hopping back onto the onto their old favorites there. Do you think there's like a reason why Gardevoir's going down? Uh, I mean, Maridon's just on the way up, and Maridon's just an annoying matchup to play against because if they... Turn two hands you going first, does Murano going first, or if they just pull off a turn one hands, which is hard, uh, the matchup becomes almost unwinnable. Like, uh, I lost in top cut of of the cup just because my opponent got, like, a turn two hands on me in game three going first. So, I mean, that makes it worse. Um, I mean, it doesn't have any other, like, hugely bad matchups. So, I don't know. The Artiverse has also been, like, not that popular for a lot of people. Like, the deck's a little slow. Um, it's a little more difficult to play than a lot of the metagame decks. Uh, so... That probably contributes to it, but yeah, I don't see any like big reason why it like needs to be going down in play. I suppose I have to apologize for publicizing turn one hands, but <laughs> it's uh, <laughs> it always seemed like like his going into LAIC when I was thinking about it when I was testing, I I actually found it quite difficult to be Garvor. Um, not only with my build, but with like the Path Maridon build, I didn't find it to be super positive. Uh, I think a lot of that was due to the fact that I don't think the map was out there yet. Like, and, and I don't think the jury was out that you just go ham with Iron Hands turn one. And I think obviously now that people know to do that and to go second, and if you get it, you kind of just win. I think it's a little bit different. Um, before people were still kind of going with Raikou being a little bit more consistent. Uh, sorry, not consistent, more like conservative in that sense. Yeah. Um, just making sure you get that turn one kill. But now that you realize that it doesn't really matter if you're not taking two prizes, I think it kind of changed a bunch. The other thing was, uh, it seems like Zard is adapting pretty well. There's a lot of Zard around. Zard seems to be going up in the meta share, so which is weird to me because that obviously doesn't have too great of a matchup in a Gardevoir. So it's kind of like this reverse function of the meta game where it kind of switch like switches in a weird way. So that might have something to do with it. Uh, what do you think about Zard right now? Yeah, I think uh, just one more thing on the Maridon thing. I actually think you picked to go first with Maridon against Gardevoir. Like, maybe not your build, but uh, just because you want to get turn two hands going first. But um, I guess, yeah, yeah, I like, Char Ch Charizard, like, I think it's basically, like, people realize, like, it has a good matchup against pretty much every deck except Gardevoir. So, like, honest, and I guess Snorlax stall. Um, so, like, basically, like, uh, it has just solid matchups across the board. 
And as we see Gardevoir kind of decrease in meta share and decks like Maridon, decks like Mew are going up, it's just kind of like riding that wave, taking advantage of that. So um, I think it's in a good spot. Like if you like playing Charizard, like I'd say most of the meta is favorable for you. And then even then, like Gardevoir is not like unwinnable. Um, especially like I think people are defaulting back to the Pidgeot version, which I think is correct since it has a stronger Gardevoir matchup. Just having the option to get boss every turn. Um, if you go first, like, and you, like, rip turn two Pidgeot, Charizard, you put so much pressure on them. So, uh, yeah, I think Charizard's in a good spot if you like playing Charizard. Uh, also, Chen Pao has pretty much, like, disappeared from the meta. We can talk about that after, but that's another one of Charizard's worst matchups. So, like, that's basically disappeared. So, yeah, a combination of Chen Pao kind of going away and, like, Guardi decreasing, I think, has really opened up the door for Charizard to be doing strong. Yeah, and I'm I'm really surprised with the Chen Pao thing. Um, like I actually I shouldn't say really surprised, but I am surprised that it's like kind of just virtually disappeared. We knew that it's not like super strong as the meta anymore, and I think that was one of your biggest realizations, right? Going into LASC, where you're like, this isn't as good as I thought it was. But yeah. at the same time, like I'm surprised more people aren't just like, all right, let me just play Pao and see what happens, because it feels like hypothetically on paper it's pretty good in everything. Yeah, I think the thing with Chen Pao is just inherently, like, no matter what you're playing, there's, like, a 20% chance you're just going to draw, like, an unplayable hand or not get turn two backs. So you have to, like, minus that from any matchup you play. And then we've seen Maridon pick up and play, and Maridon's actually a very hard matchup for Chen Pao, especially now that they have Iron Hands, because I used to just, like, lead with a one-prizer and, like, let them knock it out, and I just, like, win the prize trade. But now that they have Hands into the equation, you can't really, like, offset that uh, anymore. So that makes it harder. Uh, now then, like, Gardevoir, which used to be your best matchup, it's still a good matchup, but now they've added, like, Avery, they've added Screamtail, Countercatcher, like, they can just wipe your Bibbrel off the board, um, and, like, I don't know you at the same turn. So, like, that has gone from, like, a 70-30 to, like, a 55-45. Um, and then you have, like, just the rest of the meta is just, like, close, right? Like, your Tina matchup's probably 50-50, like, your Mew matchup's close to 50-50, so it's just basically become, I'm like, okay, like, what good matchups are left for it? Like, I guess Charizard is, like, the one really good matchup still. Um, but just the rest of the meta just becomes, like, either 50-50s or, like, unfavored. So um, I think going into the format, like, it just seemed like, like, hands is a perfect fit. And it still is a good fit in the deck. It's just the way the metagame kind of, like, evolved. Um, and other cards that have gotten added just kind of made its, its spot in the meta, like, uh, much worse. Yeah, and I think the biggest thing that I don't I don't think people realize at face value that might be affecting this is like just the ability to counter catcher Iono, right? You're just killing a Beebs yeah. and you're you're Ionoing in the same turn. That's devastating. And there's so many decks that can do that now. It's not just uh it's not just Gardevoir. Like you see it in Tina, you see it in a couple other decks as well, where you just play counter catcher, kill your Beebs and Iono, and you're such a I don't want to say a, a combo reliant deck, but you're reliant no, you are on a combo deck, super yeah. energy retrieval, right? Like there's a lot that you need. I think you need to get a lot more to like work than other decks do. So when people yeah. are countercatchering and Ionoing in the same turn, that's that's brutal, bro. Like, and so yeah, I, can, I, th- I can kind of understand it now that I think about it. I think I saw something crazy that in the Poland regional, like Chempow had like 80 people play at day one, and only one person made it to day two. Really? I was like, that is that is nuts. Yeah, like uh, actually, wait, let me open Limitless and see how many people made day two, but. I think the other thing, too, is, like, Chen Pao is actually probably one of the hardest decks in the metagame to play. Um, like, it really punishes you if you don't sequence properly, you man- mismanage resources, like, in a way that uh, a lot of the other decks don't. So, yeah, there's only one in day two, I just checked. Um, so, I think that's another another thing with the deck. So, uh, And also, like, a lot of the... 
I mean, skilled pilots like weren't in Poland. I'm not saying the people who played it like aren't good, but like you didn't have Grant Shen there, you didn't have Lucas there. Um, mm-hmm. So not the. It'll be interesting if Lucas and Grant keep playing it. Because uh, I mean, like I I was a huge Chen Pao fan. I've kind of put it put it to the side. I still love the deck, but I just don't think it's um, the best choice if you're trying to compete right now. Well, having played both, uh, like you've played both so extensively, which one would you say is actually harder to pilot? What, Gardevoir or Chen Pao? Yeah, yeah. Uh, I think, like, to play perfectly, Gardevoir is harder. But I actually find, like, Chen Pao, like, in general, is kind of harder to play. Um, Just because, like, it's basically like a new puzzle every game of, like, what order you have to play your cards, like, how you have to get to getting your, like, board, like, the candy... Like, when do you Pokestop? When do you Ultra Ball? Like, when do you forgo Backscalibur off, like, Irida to get Bibbrel instead? Like, there's so many more decisions that change game to game. I'm not saying Guardi doesn't have that, because obviously, like, you're vomiting a million times. Uh, Gardevoir is just, like, harder to play perfect, because you have to, like, manage how many energy in the discard. You have to figure out, like, your prize mapping. Like, when do you use Crest? When do you use Screamtail? Like, when do you use Turo? When do you use Collapse? Like, uh, all that. It's, like, a very difficult deck as well. But I think, like, game to game, its strategy is, like, fairly similar. Where, like, Chen Pao, like, its strategy, like, game to game, like, yes, it's get backs and bib, but it's much harder to get that. Instead of just, like, Gardevoir, you're like, oh, I'm going to Mirage Step, or, like, just if you play VIP, like, I'll Mew, or I can't my guard. So they're both difficult in different ways. Um, so, yeah, I'd say overall, Chen Pao is probably harder. And then, like, Gardevoir is, like, if you want to play it at its peak potential, it's definitely Gardevoir is harder. Yeah, and I think it depends on the player, too. Like, I've obviously tried both decks pretty extensively. I actually find Gardevoir to be a lot harder than Chen Pao just because like I've played decks in the past that are similar to Chen Pao that kind of just rely on sequencing. So it always felt a little bit more natural. Whereas like with Gardevoir, like I'm trying to pick up Gardevoir right now just because I want to give myself like not not I don't want to say like I want to like challenge myself because playing this game is challenging as is, but I want to <laughs> play something that's more um, more intricate like. I want to feel like I'm doing a bit more like in my league cups and my league challenges. And like you and I thankfully right now have the ability to kind of chill for a bit. Right. And kind of do that and have some fun. So I'm trying to pick up Guardi, pick up something that like I'm not particularly used to and, and just try and perfect it. And it's like, I feel what you've been saying, like to play it perfectly. There's so many little different things you have to pay attention to, which obviously, you know, going into it, but until you pick up the deck at a high level, you don't really like, fully realize sometimes the mistakes that you're making as well so like i was like trying to play it like passively on ladder while like just doing work or whatever and it was so so difficult to win games (laughs) just because like you have to be so invested and it takes such a mental toll so that's been fun for me personally like i've really enjoyed playing guardy recently just trying to like you said it's it's a new prize map every game like you're you're doing different things and like obviously you're using refinement using step whatever but you're drawing different cards sometimes you're getting crazy unlucky it's just just how the deck works and it's a lot yeah. of fun so i, I think um there. there's no deck in the format that has as many actions and decisions per game as gardevoir so i think that's why it's so hard to play perfectly like it's not uncommon to play like i don't know like 40 cards a game between like playing them refinement like attaching honestly you might even play more so uh that's why i think it's probably so difficult um and like it changes kind of like you have more you have multiple attackers you have the counter catcher introduced now so yeah but i agree with you it's nice it's nice to practice like the deck like you're saying like it also it's good for just like sequencing decision making and just like makes you a better player i think when you when you get good at decks like gardevoir Um, yeah like playing pokemon on hard mode just makes it way easier for you to pick up anything like solid or like afterwards that's aggressive that doesn't really take too much brain power and like 
I don't know, like for myself at least, the the deck I was historically most successful with is actually Malamar. Uh, it was just like the uh, the Garatina Malamar, which is, and that was just like a puzzle. Like every single game, there's so many damage counters flying everywhere. You have spell tags, you have Cephalon, you have Tina, you have your Garatina Garchomp. Like there was so much going on in that deck. And that was the deck that I felt the most comfortable with, that I always like did the best with. I think I won like four cups with that deck within like a month span or something crazy. And like thinking about that, and then after that, like there was kind of COVID, there was so much going on. I kind of lost touch of those like hard mode decks in a sense. So I think it definitely makes you better to uh, to go through the hard decks and, and figure those out because then the easy decks just feel that much easier. So that's been fun for sure. Uh, I have a couple friends actually right now, like just starting to get into the game and they're, they're asking me for advice on like what decks to play and, and what to build. And I honestly, man, like it, it's such a tough line because if you hand them like Maridon, they're obviously going to do better off the bat, but I feel like you're just not, you're not really like creating the skills you need to be good at this game long-term. Cause the moment that card rotates, like you're probably not going to have another deck like that in the format. That's that easy to play. I mean, I actually, I think I kind of disagree with you. I like recommend like Maraid on a Roaring Moon. I think because when you're starting, you just want to have like a repeatable like pattern or like setup every game. I think that's like Maraid on, for example, is pretty good at it. Uh, and to be honest, we normally have like some form of aggro deck in the format, even if like Maraid on rotates. But uh, it's not like the deck like takes no skill. Like obviously, you still have to like sequence like stuff like your generators, like when you use um, tandem units, stuff like that. And like also, like I think there's another trap that players fall into, where they're like, "Oh, I'll never play a deck like Roaring Moon, or I'll never play a deck like Maraidon, because it's like too simple, right? Like less, like I don't get to make all these plays." But sometimes, like decks like Maraidon are just like tier one, like best deck. So um, I have noticed that, like myself included, a lot of like really good players, like they hate playing like the simple decks, even when sometimes the simple decks are just the best decks. Yeah, like I mean, I mean, you and I have fought of Maraidon for the longest time, right? And I, I mean. I was a huge hater and then I just picked it up and started doing ridiculous with it. Like it is, yeah. I agree with you. Like it's not a sexy idea for people who've been around the game for a long time. Like I, I, you could tell from the way I talk, I still fight it. Like I still don't want to play it. <laughs> um, <laughs> it's just like, it, it doesn't, I don't want to say it feels unearned. I definitely don't want to say that because it definitely feels earned. Like it feels like you're winning games because your deck is good inherently, whatever, whatever. But, I'm definitely more gratified when I win a game with Lost Box or I win a game with like Tina or Guardy. Like, just feels yeah. better overall. So, I don't no, know. It definitely like, does. I, I, yeah, like I'm handing these guys these decks, these Maridon decks, and, and that is what I'm defaulting to with with new players right now. Um, just saying, play Maridon, play whatever. But I'm just worried that eventually, like, you're gonna need if you want to take a step as a player, you're gonna need to play something more complicated. And and I guess it is good to to start small and kind of build into that. I just like the idea kind of of just like throwing yourself in the deep end and just like having to learn the hard way because then the moment you switch to an easy deck, you're going to just rip up with it. So I don't know. I mean, there's so many different ways to go about teaching people, but it does seem like there's a lot of, uh, a lot of new interest in the game right now with uh, how accessible live is, how accessible like limitless yeah. is all that stuff. But I mean, so. like just imagine like someone brand new has never played Pokemon before. You're like, all right, you're playing Gardevoir. So then like you have to explain to them like, Oh, like you can use like Screamtail. You can use Cresselia. Like, Oh, you can do Mirage Step. Oh, you can refinement. Oh, you can like Mew for a candy. Oh, you have mm -hmm. Greninja in your deck. Like there's just like so many things. I just think it's like too much for someone who's brand new. Where like, I don't know if like you play Roaring Moon, for example, you're just like, all right, every game, try and use your Seda and attack with like your big guy turn one every turn. Uh, 
Yeah. So. Like I'm, I'm also factoring in, like when I say that I also factor in the type of people that like I'm kind of dealing with. Like I think mm. about people like if people are like myself or like you in that sense where you, you really, really enjoy like a challenge. And for me myself, like the way my brain kind of operates is if I'm getting like absolutely destroyed, my brain kicks into overdrive. Like that's when I do even better because I get so motivated to want to learn and to want to be the best at what I'm doing. Whereas like when wins are coming easy to me or like if I'm playing Mirada on whatever, I kind of like cap out where my brain is like, all right, you're doing what you need to do solid. Like just keep doing what you're doing. And then I, I'm not able to kind of kick into overdrive and get to like that expert level of something. So that's in like every aspect of my life in school and sports and Pokemon, whatever video games, like every aspect of my life, when I get my ass kicked, I do so much better. <laughs> so like when I think about like who I am as a, as a human being, I think I would need to get my ass kicked. I think I need to play Guardi. I need to play like Lost Zone or something. So like that is also a factor into what I'm saying in that sense where some people like you need that early confidence, you need that motivation. Like you need to start winning some games with Roaring Moon, with Mirada, whatever. And that's going to, continue your interest in wanting to learn more so it's all about like what kind of people those people are as well right yeah i mean that, that's fair i always also say to you that uh like winning is fun so if decks like maridon win play maridon have fun winning <laughs> true true we uh i think we're uh we're the number one maridon haters there's no doubt I, know. I mean i hated it before because i thought it was bad and it was, but now like I don't really hate it anymore. I hate it because like it's annoying to play against now because they have Iron Hands. But I do think the deck is good now because of Iron Hands. Yeah, and I also have an appreciation for it. Like obviously, like I went on a really deep run with it, so I went through a lot with that deck. And like I think I have more of an appreciation of how 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 important it is to sequence correctly and and thin at the right times, whatever, whatever. And like there's so many people now who just like play the deck like and just expect to win right and it, it's tough mm -hmm. you, you kind of have to you do have to know i don't want to say you have to know what you're doing to a t but you have to have a you have to have the the broad ideas of the deck in your mind otherwise it, it's it's really really tough so definitely a little bit more credit to maradon players than i've given them in the past but uh <laughs> still at the bottom yeah. of my tier list yo did you see that speaking of maradon that like deck i think shantaro made it or something where it has like four peony like it's even more turbo iron hands in your deck Oh really? I didn't see it. Yeah, like I uh, I sorry. I don't know where I saw it. I think I saw it on Twitter or something. But yeah, there was like four peony in it. Um, like same as you, a bunch of energy. So I've seen a it's lot like of so butchers, funny. But like I I haven't seen that yet. Did it? Did do you know <laughs> if it did well or not? Uh, I have no idea to be honest. <laughs> I just thought it was funny. It's a very interesting concept, but to me in my head, like it doesn't really make sense because you really need that tool most of the time. Like you need your hand and you need that tool. So anything, I mean like Peony's better turn one, I, I would assume. But after that, you're kind of just screwing yourself. Like I don't know why. No, I, I think the deck is literally just like turn one iron hands every game. Like that's why. Yeah, I get that. The, just I know the issue with the deck is the longevity of it. And like the fact that once you get into later turns, you don't have anything in your hand. And we are using Peony to discard your hand every turn. You have even less in your hand. So... He must have played Mew EX, right? There's no way you don't. Yeah, he played he played Mew for sure. Um, and then I, I don't remember what else he played. Okay, uh, wait, I'm pulling it up now after I watch a YouTube ad. But <laughs> nice. <laughs> top, yeah, he top definitely creator. played Mew. Okay, here, here he played. He played Mew. He played Luminion. His only supporters are four Peony and two Boss. Holy. Uh, he played two VIP pass, so he might have been looking at your list. I don't know if he made this for you, but. 
And he only plays I, one one Flaffy. That's crazy. <laughs> yeah, that I don't understand how that works. Because especially if you have one one Flaffy and you're discarding your hand every turn, like even turn one, you can't afford to not discard your hand. So if you have Flaffy in your hand, you just insta lose. I mean, just don't draw Flaffy, bro. <laughs> yeah, just get better. <laughs> <laughs> that's crazy bro i never like i don't know like there's been a lot of different iterations of that list that i've seen and, and like most of them have been pretty positive but i have not seen anything as crazy as that i respect yeah. oh them, it's honestly. it's uh it was seijun park not shintaro that's even cooler actually i think seijun got top 32 at worlds with maridon so he's been an og maridon guy that's uh yeah that's 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 sick I like the different builds, and, and obviously there's so much movement with that deck, I think more so than other archetypes, because you have, like, that 18 versus 13 energy debate, so I've seen a lot of people, like, hybrid both. So they're playing, like, 15 energies, and then you have three other cards, or you play 17 energies in DTE. I think there's so many different cool ways you can kind of play that deck, but I think, uh, I also think it's really fragile. Like, the better it gets, the more people know how to counter it, and more people are just going to play Zard and, and Mew and just run you out of the water. So it's, uh that consistent like teeter-totter effect with every single metagame we've seen yeah no 100 percent. and I, like the yeah. other thing is too you're gonna see it so much more like going into these next few months because our format's gonna be so stale for <laughs> for quite a while yeah i mean I, I i i'm trying to think like it just feels like we're gonna get to a point like how we kind of were in the 151 meta where like we get back to like the fifteen percent or ten percent for every deck between like Guardi, Maridon, Charizard, Mew, mm-hmm. and people are just like pick whichever one is their favorite. Um, Which honestly, I'm I think f- is really healthy. I'm fine with that. Yeah, I think it's good in the sense that like if you have a favorite deck, you can just like play it to whatever tournament. Like if you're going to like I don't know like Knoxville for example, which I think is in like February, like two months from now, it's like you can practice for it with like your favorite deck right now, and like you know it'll probably be a good play. So I think that's that's good. Um, I'm sure there's some room for innovation, but it's a little difficult when like the the diversity of the meta is like still spread, so you can't really target one specific thing. Yeah, this seems like the perfect like one trick format where you just pick a deck, get good with it, and just ride the wave. Yeah, exactly. So yeah, we'll see how that yeah. goes. Yeah, we'll see how everything goes this weekend. I think uh, we covered most of it. Uh, it's yeah. a, the, with every single week we're going to get some more like interesting stuff I think which is uh, honestly like a really cool problem to have so I look forward to seeing what comes out of Stuttgart I wish I could go to Stuttgart <laughs> I wish I could say Stuttgart properly but I think it's the Sht and I don't know how to say the rest but I know German people say it differently so if you're German please advise me um, is it in Stuttgart or no? no because uh, Stuttgart is a very famous like football team and I watch a lot of German football they always say like Sht not stu. Oh, it's so. the, there's the H that gets Stuttgart like that. Some, I, I'm probably yeah, butchering like it too, but I, but you guys get the uh, the gist. What we're trying to get at. <laughs> I want a schnitzel, bro. This, a schnitzel? this conversation just made me hungry. I know, bro. I went. <laughs> I was in Germany two years ago, bro. Had some nice schnitzel. Schnitzel. I had the pig knuckle. I had uh, the beer and those big beer glasses. Oh yeah. Highly yeah. recommend. This, this is this is what makes me sad that Milwaukee Regionals isn't happening this year because they're a German town. That is, I mean, you can go to Kitchener and Waterloo, bro. That's the biggest Oktoberfest outside of Germany. I'd rather go to Milwaukee. <laughs> no, come on, bro. I'd rather go to Kitchener than Milwaukee. <laughs> no way, man. Milwaukee's fun. Bro, the, the, there's a beer factory. I know, but Kitchener's like an hour drive from where we live. That's true. Yeah, I drove to Milwaukee last year. That was so grief. Like 11 yeah. hours. No, that's crazy to me. Like anything over six hours, I'm flying or I am not there. (laughs) 
I was just desperate. Like I, I needed to get my invite. I ended up top 16 that event. So it worked out, but yeah. I was like in a point I, I was, I would never do that sober, like sober in the sense of like, I don't <laughs> need points very badly. <laughs> so <Yeah. laughs> that was a one of, and then I, I drove to Peoria again this year, which obviously was very, oh, that was crazy. Yeah, that was some sort of illness for sure. So I looked up flights to Chicago. I'm like, they're not cheap. I am not going to Peoria. <laughs> I have heard the flight prices to Charlotte have gone up drastically, and I'm scared to check. So I've, I've heard a lot oh, of people I mean, driving to Charlotte. It makes no sense because like it's literally like an hour and twenty minute flight. Uh, but like even last year when I went, it was like five hundred dollars to fly. And then this year I looked, it was uh, like I think it was six hundred to fly Canadian dollars for anyone listening, but which is just craziness. And then, like, I talked to, like, my American friends. They're like, oh, I'm flying to Charlotte for, like, $40. It's nuts. Oh. It's it's incredible how, how different the prices are. And I, I know a lot of it has to do with, like, airfare tax, like, import fees, all that stuff. But yeah, it's crazy. Like, to fly domestically in this U.S. is so cheap compared to here. I know. Well, it's crazy, too, because um, what's it called? Multiple airlines fly to Charlotte. Like, I, when I looked, like, American flies there, United flies there, Air Canada flies there. So, like, I don't know why. And they're all the same price because, like, I don't know. So. Yeah, I, I am complaining, but I will also say in the same breath that I booked Vancouver round trip for one hundred twenty dollars for for March. So yeah, that's the one regional we get that's like cheap. Besides Toronto, obviously. Um, and normally it's not even close to that cheap. It's just I think uh, just the time of year it is. Yeah, it's normally like two hundred dollars if you fly on like a budget airline. Uh, last year I think I paid. I booked it so far in advance. I literally paid like one hundred fifty. Did you fly budget though? Yeah, I flew budget. Okay, yeah, this is my first time I, like, uh, flying budget airline. Oh, yeah, like, honestly, it sucks. Like, <laughs> did you book Flair? <laughs> yeah, I booked Flair. Yeah, no, Flair was, like, one of the worst experiences ever last year, but I'm probably going to yeah. book them again because they're very Great. cheap. Yeah, like, I don't know. It's like, okay, I spent 150 bucks or 120 bucks, whatever, and I'm, like, griefed for five hours, or I spend another 300 bucks together. I'm like, whatever, I'll just deal with it. Yeah, because I'm looking now, like, if uh for, like, Going to Vancouver, it's like I can pay $140 on links, and then I, I don't get a like I can only use my backpack, like I can't bring like a suitcase carry on, or I can pay an extra $100 and fly Air Canada. So I don't know. I, I normally like making a trip out of Vancouver, like staying a week or something. So like I might have to do that, but we'll see if yeah, we get there. That's one of those like nice regional locations. And like that's a, I think that's also the way how like some of these guys who play this game for a living kind of get around as well. Using like budget airlines, weird connections, yep. all that kind of stuff. So, well, yeah, is, last uh, year, yeah, I went to like that special event in Puerto Rico and I took, um, oh man, I'm blanking on what it's called. It's like the most pop spirit, spirit airline from <laughs> Puerto Rico to uh, Columbus. And I think a lot of people like use that airline. And I was like, okay, this airline sucks, but it's super cheap. So I'm like, I would do it again because it was like a third of the price of everything else. Bro, that sounds like hell, but I'm glad you got back alive. Yeah, <laughs> there's, a, so, there's a price yeah, to be paid nice. to travel to play this game, I suppose. Exactly. But, but with that being said, we will uh, we'll sign off here. Yeah. Yeah, I think good time to sign off. Absolutely, it's a 43 minute podcast for your way to work or wherever you take us, and we appreciate you taking us wherever you do take us. Thank you for tuning in. Uh, we'll see you next week with hopefully something absolutely insane that comes out of Stuttgart. But we'll see. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All right. Take it easy, everyone. <laughs> Peace. <laughs>